Well, good morning, all. So good to see you. We have Ray here today with us, which we're so blessed at, and his wife, Ladanes. So make sure you talk, uh, visit with them. All right. Well, the hope of heaven. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Psalm 116, 15. Death is the one experience through which we will all pass. We may meet it with resignation or denial or even without a moment's thought, but it will come. But death for the believer is distinctly different from what it is for the unbeliever. For us, it isn't something to be feared or shunned, for we know death is but the shadowed threshold to the palace of God. No wonder Paul declared, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far in Philippians 1.23. Sometimes God gives his departing saints glimpses of heaven, partly, I believe, to encourage those of us who remain. Just before dying, my grandmother sat up in bed and smiled and said, I see Jesus and he has a hand outstretched to me but there is Ben and he has both of his eyes and both of his legs. Ben, my grandfather, had lost an eye and a leg in Gettysburg. Are you looking forward to the day when you will be with Christ, which is far better? The hope for today. Do you dread or fear death? God promises that the glories that await us far outshine anything we will be leaving behind. What a wonderful hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you today. And we count it a joy and a pleasure that we are able to walk this life with you as Father, as Savior, as um, friend, Jesus as friend. Um, and we are able to receive from you the gift of faith and the gift of hope throughout these days that we walk this earth so that we know that we know with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul that we will one day be with you forever. We thank you for that hope. And Lord, we thank you for today, for the um, gift of friends in this fellowship. And we thank you that uh, Ray will be teaching and we ask you now to um, fill him afresh with the presence of your Holy Spirit. Um, that he might speak of the things of your kingdom in such a way that it transforms our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.
reading this morning is from Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you, O let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. We need to have good memories. Now we're going to pray Psalm 23, if you'd like to stand with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 29 through 39, and then chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with 
with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. And others were killed with the sword. Some went, some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these things, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us, so they would not reach perfection without us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily rips us up. And let us run with the endurance the race God has sent before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates the perfect and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. We have a uh, responsive reading but from Billy Graham today, if you'll join us. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and to seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe to those who call evil good, but that exactly is what we have done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and reversed our values. We have exploited the poor and called it love. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed our unborn and called it choice, we have shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building self-esteem. We have abused power and called it politics. We converted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and we called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God, and know our hearts today. Cleanse us from sin and set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us pray. Lord of all and creator of all, we've come before you humbly today. And... We ask that the gifts that we give, gifts that you already own, that you guide us in their usage, that they show us how it can, they can be used to further your kingdom. Lord, we ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to rise for the doxology.
punch this clock The hours roll, they never stop And I can't ever seem to get ahead Always trying to do what's right Straight and arrows getting tight Don't know how much longer I can stand And I'm wondering Yeah, I'm wondering Where's my promise, man? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us comprehend. Help us live what we believe that you are our promised land. We spend so much of our days contemplating, thinking to ourselves that this life should be easier. We've deceived ourselves, Lord, in thinking that the name of Christ is our talisman. It's our dream catcher. It keeps us from all evil. It does indeed keep us from de being defeated by evil. But we encounter evil at every turn. But the victory is ours. You are our promised land. So Father, this life, this exercise of faith, it's all yours. The sovereignty is all yours. The providence is all yours. And on our part, it's purely a matter of attitude an attitude of faith. Give us this attitude of faith, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.
You're familiar, I'm sure, with the uh, story of David, the uh, shepherd boy who became king. Most theologians agree that uh, David was perhaps 13 years of age when he slew Goliath. Through God's power, he slew Goliath. And from that time on, King Saul felt obligated to make David a part of his court. But during those years, this young hero was part of Saul's court. Saul grew in an intensity of rage to the point that seven different times he tried to pin David to the wall with his spear. Saul lived much of his life in a rage, a jealous rage against David. I would like to read to you uh, from Eugene Peterson. Although King Saul hunting David was the reason for David being in the wilderness, Saul neither defined nor dominated the wilderness. The wilderness was full of God, not Saul. Who dominates your wilderness? Do you see God or do you see your enemies? The wilderness in itself makes nothing happen, good or bad. Saul and David were both in the wilderness. Saul was chasing David, obsessed with hunting him down and killing him. Meanwhile, David was not running from Saul, but to God. And finding himself in a God refuge of prayer in the caves of Adullam. Where's your cave of Adullam? Where do you seek sanctuary? As David prayed, God opened his eyes wide with wonder and David beheld the glory of God's generous love, his protection and provision in the wilderness. I'm sorry, folks, but the news is you're going to remain in the wilderness until we make heaven our home. We have no choice. We're in the wilderness. You can spend your entire life running from the enemy, but until you learn to run to God, nothing will change. I think of Anne Hesh. That's a sad, sad story. You spend your life pursuing what you think will make you happy. And in the end, you uh, basically die from an overdose of heroin. You spend your life running from the enemy, or you spend it running to God. David spent seven years running from Saul, but that seven years made him a man after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart, shepherding sheep. But what proofed his gold was seven years fleeing from Saul. He learned how to live in prayer. He learned how to live in faith. And he lived before Isaiah wrote this verse, but David understood the concept. Isaiah 30, 15, in your repentance and rest is your salvation. David knew how to repent. Just read the psalm. He knew how to repent, and that made him a man after God's own heart. 
A life of prayer and a life of faith. You can't separate the two. A person of faith will always be a person of prayer. Hiding in the caves of Adulam, David learned not only how to pray, but how to be God-led. How to listen. In 1 Samuel 21, David starts his flight from Saul with a very right decision. He goes to church. The tabernacle of God was at that time in the city of Nob. David sought sanctuary there. He sought direction there in God's house. He entered that sanctuary destitute and hungry, and he left with a provision of bread and a well-known sword, the one he took off Goliath's head with. You remember Jesus referring to this, talking about the showbread. David asked for bread, and the priest told him the only bread we have is the showbread that's been presented on the altar to God. <clears throat> that's the kind of bread I want. I want that bread that's been consecrated to God. I want God's bread. But when we choose to follow God, it will cost us something. We need to count the cost. When we choose to follow God, it will cost us something. It will cost those we love. When Saul heard that the priest at Nob had helped David, he slew them all. Only one survived, and that one fled to David. From Nob to the caves of Adullam. My oh my, take a look here. All of this green is the various routes that David took fleeing Saul over the course of seven years. From the top of Judah to the bottom of Israel, beyond the Dead Sea, seven years running for your life. In all ten years, David was twenty years of age. When he fled to the caves of Adullam, and it would be another decade before he assumed the reins of the kingdom of Judah and eventually Israel. But those ten years were very formative in his life. But my question for you this morning is what if your promised land? What if your promised land turns out to be a cave? One of Chuck Swindoll's sermons that I am particularly fond of is entitled, Don't Miss the Messages in Your Misfortune. And the theme of that sermon is this. When God wants to accomplish an impossible task, he takes an impossible person and crushes him or her. Are we willing to be crushed this morning? The heroes of faith, Elijah, Jeremiah, St. Paul, all willingly allowed themselves to be crushed. Well, for the most part, willingly. Jeremiah did uh, 
how shall we say, complain to the Lord. You've patawed me. The Hebrew word means you deceived me. You told me I would preach to kings. You told me I would preach to nations. But every time I do, I wind up beaten, blooded, and naked in a ditch. You deceived me. It tends to be our complaint quite a bit, I think. Nonetheless, I love what uh, Peterson has to say about Jeremiah. He said, if you cut Jeremiah, he would bleed holiness. And what is holiness other than wanting God above all else? Are you an impossible person? If you're living and breathing, you're an impossible person. What is an impossible person? Well, if you're hard-headed, obstinate, stiff-necked, fearful, passive, indifferent, you're an impossible person. You're a real live human being. God bless you. Because you're exactly the kind of person God is looking for. He loves to use the marginalized ne'er-do-wells, the impossibles. He loves to use the maligned, the insignificant, and through them perform his greatest miracles, thereby bringing to his name the greatest possible glory. I think of the angel mocking Gideon. Gideon, man of valor, why are you hiding behind those hay bales? The ne'er-do-wells. God loves to use the ne'er-do-wells. Either you believe in God's providence, or you don't. Either you believe God works in and through everything in your life for his glory and for your good, or you don't. It's that simple. While David hid in the caves of Adullam, his brothers, former soldiers, and basically the dregs of Jewish society fled to David and hid with him there in those caves. 400 at first, and those numbers swole to 600. And who were they? The dregs of society, debtors, those who were being hunted for offenses that would put them in prison. Debtors, misfits, the dregs all fled to David. God loves ragamuffins. He loves ragamuffins. And David became their drill sergeant their general, and their chaplain. And what was the end result? A regiment of army rangers. Through God's direction, David developed a core of mighty men. They're listed in Samuel's record. An elite guard of 37 men. Three of the captains of that 37 fought in the spirit of Almighty God. You say, how do you know that? Read Samuel's record. Each of these three men did mighty deeds against the Philistines. <coughs> One of them stood in a field and with only a spear slew 800 men in one battle. The next slew 300 men in one battle. They would take a stand in the middle of the field and take on all comers with just a spear. That's fighting in the spirit of Almighty God. David's army of 600 men soon became the core of the military might 
of David's kingdom and would make Israel the superpower of that day. So, if you believe that all your places are heavenly, how many of you remember that sermon on Ephesians? Heavenly places. Christ has seated us with him in heavenly places. So if you believe that all your places are heavenly, then you have to believe that all your places are the promised land. The promised land. You can't enter the promised land unless you have prepared. Only two months after Israel's exodus from Egypt, God brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai for a reckoning. This is preparation for God's delivery to them of the Ten Commandments. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 through 21. This is from the NLT. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command, which said, If even an animal, animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. Hebrews 12.22 No, you have come to Mount Zion. Not to Mount Sinai, you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in joyful gathering. Your heavenly places are surrounded by thousands of angels in joyful chorus. That should put a smile on your face. Your heavenly places are your promised land. Satan wants you to think you're alone. This scripture says you're surrounded by thousands of angels in joyful chorus. Join the song. Join the song. There's a difference between the promised land and heaven. The promised land will always be here on earth. The promised land is the kingdom of heaven on earth. Are you there yet? Your promised land will always be surrounded by enemies. Your promised land will always be subject to war. But there will always be seasons of rest. In repentance and rest is your salvation. Your promised land is your rest, but you have to know how to get there. So where's your cave of Adullam? But let's talk about another cave dweller, Elijah. You know the story. Elijah is just lopped off the heads of 450 prophets of Baal. You'd think he would be jacked, just ecstatic at having defeated so many of the host of the enemy. But he gets word that Jezebel wants his head and he runs. But if you're going to run, run to the mountain of God. Elijah gets to Sinai, and in 1 Kings 19, verses 11 through 13, we read, God whispers to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. Think about that. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Is this a mystery? No. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. This is just like Moses' experience receiving the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. The mountain shook. The mountain smoked. It was on fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And the voice said again, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing here? If God wasn't in the earthquake, if he wasn't in the fire, if he wasn't in the wind, what's going on? God did not consciously effect the earthquake, the fire, or the wind. It's simply what happens when God is in the house. When God comes that close to his creation, things catch fire. The wind blows. The earth quakes. But you can't live your life at Sinai. Moses came down. He had work to do. Elijah came down. He had work to do. You can't live your life at Sinai. But you need that experience. You need the experience of Sinai, of God coming near. But you say, Ray, I've never, I've never had an experience like that. I've, I've never experienced that. I will boldly say if you haven't, it's because you refuse to go to the mouth of the cave. You refuse to do anything but stay in the sanctuary of your cave. Because if you go out to the mouth of that cave, you will experience God. We all end up in a cave. Hiding there for refuge, the question is, are you going to stay there? Moses was summoned to his cave. Elijah fled to his. David ran to his. You need a cave. You need a Sinai. You need a cave of Adullam. You need to seek sanctuary. But while you're in that sanctuary, you need to be patient and have courage and wait for the epiphany. You need a place to sit before God. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. You're never going to experience God on the run. You have to sit in his presence. First Chronicles 17 verse 16 from the NLT. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, O God, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. You speak as though I were someone very great, O Lord. What more can I say to you about the way you have honored me? You know what your servant is really like. That's an honest prayer. Lord, you, you know I'm made of 
dust. But you have honored me. Therefore I praise your name. When you finally arrive at your Mount Sinai or your cave of Adullam, what will you find? Hebrews 12.23 You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose name are written in heaven. What's that mean, firstborn? Study the scriptures. The firstborn in Israel or Judah received the choicest blessing. If you're in Christ, you're firstborn. And you get the choicest blessing. You have come to God himself who is judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. Cloud of witnesses. Those who have been made perfect. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and his people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from When you get to your cave, be still, listen, be patient, listen. We can tell ourselves that uh, we don't want to be where we are. We don't want to be with the people we're with. We can say, I don't want to keep repeating these same old mistakes. Or we can say, God has not only allowed for me to be here, but has ordained for me to be here. Therefore, there's a lesson for me here. There's a lesson for me to learn. There's a chance to grow in grace. There's something here for me to overcome. So by his magnificent grace, by God's magnificent grace, I will do my best with what is here and who is here and trust God to reveal to me the why. And trust him to bless me for being obedient in this time of preparation. If you're Shadrach, <clears throat> excuse me, Meshach or Abednego, you don't pray to spend your entire life in the furnace. If you do, God bless you. But while you're there, you look over your shoulder and you see Jesus standing in the fire with you and you say, Bless the Lord. You say to yourself, far more important than the spiritual climate of this place or the friends and neighbors I find in this place is the fact that my God is the God of this place. It's just as easy to live out the will of God here in dusty, dirty, hotter than hell Tucson as any other place on earth. It's just as easy because God's providence is here. You are where he wants you to be. But do you have the attitude he wants you to have?
Show us that vacant cave, if you would. Adulam. Where's your Adulam? I say, give me a hammer, give me a nail, and a broom. I'm going to hang a picture on that craggy wall. I'm going to push the rocks aside and sweep that dirt floor and put a nice rug on it. I'm going to hang a Coleman lamp from the ceiling. And I'm going to be happy in Adulam. This is the place the Lord has prepared for me. And therefore I'm going to rejoice. St. Augustine said this, a Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot. Are you a Christian head to foot? If you are, you're saying alleluia, even in your adulam. God made us, he redeemed us, has and always will provide for us. And the only natural and logical response is praise the Lord. You may have noticed a familiar voice in the uh, lead-in song. Cheryl Crow accompanied Toby Mac on that. What you may not know is Cheryl Crow has professed to be a born-again Christian since she was 17. And you say, oh, well, she's lived an awfully worldly life. I remember her doing some of her videos with very, very short skirts and on and on and on. We're not called to be her judge. She professes Christ. And that's all we need to know. We're not her judge. She lives on a secluded 10-acre plot just outside of Nashville. And recently she bought an old Baptist church that was scheduled to be torn down. Had it moved to her 10 acres. She said, I wanted a private chapel on my 10 acres. I wanted a private chapel close at hand. Where's your chapel? It doesn't have to be a rejuvenated old Baptist church. It can be a closet. It can be a she shed. It can be a line shack on the South 40. But you need a chapel. You need a prayer closet. You need a sanctuary. Some place where you can sit before God. Whenever, wherever you erect your chapel, this is what you do there. You make it your own personal holy of holies. You make it your own personal inner sanctum of the temple of the Most High God. E.H. Peterson again. When we offer up the sacrifice of our life on God's altar, he changes it into what is pleasing and acceptable to him. In the act of offering, we give up ownership and control and watch to see what God will do with it with deep awareness that the God who speaks life into us also listens when we speak. We put into words the difficulties and delights that we foresee in the hours and days ahead. We assemble fears and hopes, apprehensions and anticipations and place them on his altar as an offering. We simply set out the stuff of our lives and watch to see what God will do with it. Sacrifice is not something we do for God. 
Rather, it is an act of faith. And having acted in faith, then we take a seat and watch. And see and behold the fruition of what Almighty God has set in motion in our lives. Even before the beginnings of time. We sit and watch and listen. Pray with me. Lord, we believe that that which we can't see in this life is far more important than that which we can see. That which we cannot comprehend is far more important than that which we can see. That which we can touch and feel. We believe that that which looks like the wreckage of our lives is the very material, the fuel you use to make a great bonfire of blessing in our lives. And we offer up to you all the mistakes, the meandering disobedience of our lives. We offer it up to you, Lord, in praise and worship. We bless your name and we confess you are our promised land. Bless your name. For my benediction this morning, Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus... Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Blessings to you this morning.
let us pray. Heavenly Father, let us know that you're always with us. If we look to you, we trust in you, we believe in you, that you will be there. We may have to, we may have to run and hide. We may have to seek protection, but it doesn't matter. Wherever our individual caves are, there you will be also. You will provide the comfort and the trust that we need to move forward and be your people. This we lift up in Jesus' name. Amen.